Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I could not be more excited to start off this new school year's pods with two of my favorite people in the ESU network, with Amy Schultz and Kristen Slechta of ESU9, both professional learning specialists and just two amazing educators who, to kind of give the backstory for how this conversation came about, uh, I believe I was talking with Brooke Cavan and she showed me a Snapchat video of a new teacher session the two of you were leading. Uh, it was so engaging, I had to learn more. And I'm excited to create a little space for us today to have conversations about supporting new teachers, particularly given what has transpired over the course of the last 18 months, just crazy. So uh, I will say to both Amy and Kristen, welcome to the pod. We're so glad to be here. Woo, woo, woo. And we're back. I know, second time, uh, which was great. I really appreciate the first one too. So if you didn't hear that uh, with engagement strategies, you can go back and check that out on our show. But uh, I don't, I'm just going to open and give you the space here to say, tell me a little bit more about your new teacher training. Well, we do a lot of planning, intentional planning for a new teacher training. And we also know how important it is to set the stage and to understand how behaviors are contagious and can be mimicked and how you can guide the learning space on a pathway where they can be engaged and focus and they understand that they're on this path and that we're partners in learning on this path. So we start off with our expectations, which new teachers, veteran teachers, just educators in general, you need a good list of expectations. That's the path. But we start off with a very, Amy, how would you say it? Very monotone and boring setup for a reason, because we want them thinking and questioning, why is it like this? Why does this feel like this? Because then we're going to flip it on them so they can see the difference. And we want to invite you in our vulnerable space where we're putting our pride to the side, we are going to flip it for you as well on this podcast. So that's what you're about to experience. Here so, for it. Okay, buckle up my friends, because this <laughs> is about to rock your world. Okay, so you did a great intro, Kristen. Uh, exactly like she said, we start off by being very boring for lack of a better word with our expectations. So I might start off by saying expectation number one, remember why you are here. With my arms sweeping out to the audience, expectation number two, relationships. We are all in this together. Good one, Kristen. Expectation three, routines and procedures are important. And finally, expectation number four, make it magical. Make it your own and flip time. Really? Really? That's how you're going to start off, Kristen? Really? Really, Amy? You know what? Let's mix it up a little bit. We're clapping. Let's kick it. All right, stop. 
collaborate and listen. Schultz is back with a brand new invention. Teaching, grabs a hold of me tightly. Think about learning daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I hope no. Turn on your brains and we'll show. To the extreme, I rock thinking and learning. Light up our classroom always yearning. Dance, the the teacher that moves. I'm rocking your brain like a magical classroom. Deadly, when I learn a dope strategy. Anything less than the best is a felony. Love it, don't leave it. You're learning all day. Growing and stretching is the only way. If there was a problem, yo, we'll solve it. Check out our moves while our brains dissolve it. Class, class ready. And we do not have. Hold on, verse. hold on. I got to clap for that. Those are, you, this is an audio <laughs> podcast, but I wish you could have seen the dance moves, the excitement, <laughs> the look on their faces. This is, and this is what I saw on Snapchat, truthfully. And I was like, more of that, whatever that is, we're talking about it. And that's where we're going with this today. That was terrific. Now, if you were a 90s child like myself and you remember Vanilla Ice, there was a dance that he always did too, where he like hopped from side to side and then he'd do this spin. We normally do that. We're not good at it, but we normally do it because it's really all about being vulnerable, taking risks. We're trying to show them what's the difference in delivery when you have this monotone boring and then you flip it because like Kristen said, energy's contagious. Smiling's contagious. Put your pride to the side in the classroom and bring it. And knowing when to bring it, when to be very approachable, and then the opposite, when to be not boring never boring, but when to be credible, when it's information that is pertinent, important, new knowledge, explicit instruction, you're practicing routines or procedures, but then also balancing that with the approachability, the vulnerability, as Amy put it, the taking of risks and being authentic, bringing your magic. I mean, expectation number four was make it magical, make it your own. And so that was just a quick example of us doing that in front of them and modeling. So you did bring it back to our expectations. Although we said them in a boring way, we really do think that there's truth to those four expectations. Mm -hmm. So I actually want to flip it on you, Andrew Easton. And expectation number one, which was remember why you are here. So I know you said that you got a hold of something on Snapchat, which is why you asked Kristen and I. But to back up even more, why did you feel like a podcast on and for potentially a new teacher audience was something that you wanted to bring to the stage. Gosh, and I'm not used to being asked questions on the pods. This is kind of a fun, (laughs) unique scenario for me. I would say that uh, a portion of this, and maybe just to put this in personal experience, uh, my last year of teaching was the 2019-2020 school year. And so I actually left remotely. Uh, And I had a student teacher for the duration of that year. So I got a chance to kind of learn through his lens, uh, how he saw his work uh, and some of the challenges that being, you know, over a decade in this profession, I had forgotten about or just had come to overlook because those weren't the challenges that I was currently focused on. And I, I got a big heart for those folks as they're getting into this profession. And I think about the challenges the last 18 months for people who are seasoned educators, who are, have all their content down and, and know what it is to build relationships with students and to get into all of these nuances that make teaching an art that uh, it's just got to be such a heavy lift for our new educators at this time. And, and you look at the stats with regards to people leaving the profession and you see around what 44% of people don't make it past the first five years. That's so concerning to me. And that just like mm-hmm. hurts my heart because I care about this work so much. I care about kids so much. And I 
Um, we'll pay compliment to the two of you in this conversation today. You look at how many great educators have moved to other positions now where we're trying to foster that type of creativity, energy, passion for this work. You want to really do what you can to create content conversations and support for people that are coming up next that are going to be those creative people and not losing that in the midst of how masks and distance education and all these other things. How do we maintain that creativity piece, that authenticity piece like Kristen was talking about and more? Don't wind me up for a why. This is why I asked the questions probably. <laughs> I could go on forever. But uh, how about for the two of you? So I'll flip it back and say like you, you obviously poured a lot of time and energy into this training. And so I know you, you bring that to everything that you do, but specifically for that audience. I can start. I think of the phrase partners in learning, and I feel like that should be in the classroom between students and the teacher, partners in learning, both asking questions, both owning mistakes, both having their thinking visible. I also see my role as a professional learning specialist. I'm a partner in learning with this community, and I love this community. I'm a part of it. I want it to flourish. I want it to grow, and I want it I want to transfer any energy I have to that community. And I do feel like it's an energy transfer. What you give is what you get back. So when we give that energy, we're dancing and we're rapping, we say that may not be your flavor. As a teacher, authentically, you find your style, your flavor. But when they see it, they're going to feel that energy. That energy is contagious. And I think that energy is what builds the momentum for teachers to stay in this practice. Amy, what about you? You guys knocked both of those answers out of the park. I kind of like the questioning aspect of this sometimes more than the answering. Welcome <laughs> <laughs> to my role, right? Yeah, yeah I know. I just um, those are both really good answers, but I like to get more maybe logistical. I am a person who craves clarity. And I feel like when we do our new teacher series, which our new teacher series is two days in early August and then two days throughout the school year, just to kind of give you a, some context of what that looks like. And I think when you talk about new teachers and I think about when you talk about how we support new teachers in our role at ESU 9, we can give you a list of things that are really important in your first year of teaching, which could include that or expectations list we mentioned, relationships, routines and procedures, knowing your why, but those pieces don't always come naturally to teachers. And so I feel like when I tie in that clarity piece, our role is to give them clarity, to support them on what does that look like? How do you build relationships? How do you establish routines and procedures, which I think also ties into the partner and learning like we, we want to partner with you, we want to support you, we want to serve you, we want you to know what we are here for, which that is a whole other conversation. Some of our new teachers don't even realize the role of an ESU. And there's the clarity piece again, providing that clarity. So yeah, I think it is being a partner. I think it is being a support system. That ties into my Gallup strengths too. So I think maybe I'm, I'm in the right role for the work that we do. Absolutely. I'm going to say that you two certainly are. And uh, I'm always inspired and, and back to Kristen's point too, kind of getting that secondhand 
good vibes from being able to learn from the two of you and the energy that you bring to all of your conversations. And so I'm going to ask real quickly then, because we all just shared our why for this conversation and this work and for the support of new teachers. What do you typically hear from new teachers when you ask this question of their why as they're starting out? We actually start posing the question, what or who brought you here? Mm. And typically it's a who. It was a teacher in their life that made a difference in terms of their passion for the content or a passion to be part of this partnership and learning. And we also push them a little to think about that teacher and really intentionally break down what about that teacher made the difference. And that usually brings us to the, I learned a lot from them and I had or a sense of a relationship that I was valued, therefore I value that time with that teacher. I was respected, therefore I respect that teacher. That's why I am here today. So it really lends itself to them reflecting and then being open to the concept of us beginning with how do you build relationships? And we do it in a lot of ways. I think having some strategies, um, thoughtful suggestions can be helpful because as Amy put it, sometimes you need a little help being intentional. Rita Pearson, an amazing TED talk. If you want to look it up, Rita Pearson, I will try to quote her best as saying, kids don't learn from people they don't like, from teachers they don't like. And it's not that you have to be so concerned that you're liked all the time, because there is a balance, but it's that you are approachable in terms of students asking questions, students taking new ideas, being willing to make them their own, that partnership going back and forth as well as that balance of, of credibility, that you can manage the space and you can push with care. There's those two things, pressure and care, but you can't push pressure. You can't help them learn deeply unless they know that you care deeply. So that's kind of how we move into the, that whole expectation number two relationship. We are all in this together. I want to go back to Rita because we always show the Rita Pearson video at our new teacher series. And that quote that you said, kids don't learn from people they don't like. And then she goes on to say, and will you like all of your students? Of course not. But the secret is that they should never know that. And then she even jokes and says, and your behavior students are never absent. They're the ones that are never gone. But I just love that too, because it's real. Like, are you going to love all your students? No, but they should never know that. They should still feel like you are their favorite teacher because they would never know that you're not. Yeah. yeah. We like to remind our audience we're humans teaching humans. There's a lot of variables and factors in that. And taking the time to be intentional about your routines, your procedures, your tone of voice, how you set up your room from seating assignments, just laying out all of that planning and preparation is what allows you to set up that environment, that culture for learning. You know, we will talk about, Kristen, you're going to have to help me out here. When we talk about that, they should never know the difference. We will show this quadrant where you think about how do you come across as intentionally inviting, unintentionally disinviting, unintent, like it's this whole, where do you find yourself in the quadrant? Because I think sometimes people come off unintentionally disinviting and don't even realize that they're coming off unintentionally disinviting. And how do you know that? So we actually have them practice. So I think I've mentioned this multiple times, approachable versus credible. So we practice what does approachable look like? 
So your arms are open wide. You have a more open stature. Your body language is open. Your voice, you can even lift your voice a little bit. Elementary teachers sometimes will even sing what they're saying. So that's very approachable. And there's levels of approachability. So we actually, the whole room, they engage at their tables with one another. You got to practice it. It's not intentional if you don't practice. So we practice the approachable. And then we talk about, you know what? there's going to be a fire drill and it's during passing period. And you just were told at your staff meeting that morning. So you need a very credible voice when you're giving directions to your students, because you know, that fire drill is going to ring pretty darn soon. And so that's when your body language is not closed. It's not the opposite. You don't want it closed, but you want to stand up straight. Your tone of voice is a little bit lower. You can even, this is a little add-on, you can even nod your head just a little bit after each statement that's important because we're humans teaching humans and those students, those partners in learning, they're watching everything you do, listening to what you say consciously and unconsciously. Use everything to your advantage as a teacher to guide the behaviors in your room, both credible and approachable. And then throughout the day, we would just throw out credible. And then everybody had to practice. Approachable, everybody had to practice. That's just an example of. I love all of that because it speaks to what is, what we said earlier, the art of teaching. The art of teaching is when you get to that place where you start really tuning in on, I think those pieces, in addition to your, you know, understanding of your content. And there's, I mean, a million places to, to do that type of work, but that's certainly one. And one that I don't hear conversations enough about. And, you know, I would add to your how too. that's greeting people at the door and shaking hands mm -hmm. when conditions allow you to, <laughs> that's what mm -hmm. I'll say. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's being able to actually like kneel down to talk to a student on their level versus addressing them from a standing position. And uh, I, just those little things that, that bridge those gaps. And like you said, I love that approachable incredible. Uh, my mentor teacher, when I was a first year teacher told me, and this is a, this is a lesser version, but I, it resonates on that same point. He goes, you just have to show them that you're wired right. <laughs> He's like, he goes, you know what? If you're frustrated by something, don't go off on people, but it's okay to be frustrated. Share it in a positive, constructive way. Like if something's unacceptable, call it unacceptable and, mm -hmm. and really step into those. And it's not necessarily about always trying to be the positive Patty who's going to be friends with everybody. And if everybody likes me, I'm doing my job right. It's just be authentic and respond appropriately and lead. And there's something that I appreciate about that. And I do think that it's relationship forming and sustaining. Mm -hmm. And read your room. If you feel tense, guess what? Everyone probably has that feeling. Everybody takes a big, deep breath. Everybody stand up and stretch. You, you have strategies to change the state because you're the one to manage the space. Another example, and we're really strong about this with our new teacher series is callbacks. And again, choose your flavor. There's some elementary callbacks, there's middle school, secondary, high school callbacks, and then we have callbacks specific for adults. One that we use consistently and research backs it up is waterfall. And we'll express what waterfall is. I wanna mention first the research that when you hear something from nature, the way our brain is wired, it can be calming and soothing. And there are going to be times, especially for new teachers, but this happens to veterans as well. When you lose the space, you're reading the room and they're somewhere else. You need to get back on that path. 
And so a callback is really powerful if you keep it consistent and if you keep high expectations. So here's waterfall. When I say waterfall, all the students' hands go way up in the air and then jazz hands down like water is falling to the earth. Bonus, this is a body motion. Hands are free from writing on that paper or typing on that computer and that device. You can tell when everybody's participating because hands are up. Second, you give a vocal sound of shh. Bonus to that, you have full permission to shush the room and shush the space. And the shushing, believe it or not, kind of makes it sound like rain when everybody's doing it. But it means everybody's doing it. Expectation number two, relationship. We have, or we mentioned earlier in monotone, we are all in this together but that's what it is. And when you have a callback, if you don't have everybody, what should you do about it, Amy? A gentle redo. A gentle retry of the waterfall, which is good. I think that is important though. And so I I guess elaborate on why that everyone needs to be together. Yeah. Um, Yes, we will do waterfall and we will do waterfall with adults, but adults will also do waterfall with students. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when we do waterfall with adults, we don't get everyone who participates and we feel very strongly about everyone does everything all of the time. It's the same expectation that a teacher would strive for in the classroom. Mm -hmm. So we are trying to model that in our professional learning experiences. So if we say waterfall and we don't get 100% doing the hands up, the jazz hands and the shh, we will do a gentle redo and we will continue to do a gentle redo until everyone is participating. Why? Because if the expectation is 100% and we only get 50% and then we move on, we've now said that the expectation is that half of the people can participate and we're okay with that. We're not okay with that. We want 100% participation. So we model that just like we would want them to do that in their classroom. Absolutely love it. And so, yeah, thanks for kind of doubling back to even add that other piece of then what that communicates about your expectations. Uh, And I just think that's really terrific. And in line with that too, I'm sure similar hows when it comes to routines and procedures, number three on the list that you shared of things that, uh, that you bring up. And so maybe to speak to that a little bit and some of the strategies, uh, some of that, how that goes into the thinking as you support new teachers uh, in that domain. Yeah. Another thing that we do during our new teacher, which we embedded this a couple of years ago. And I think that the feedback we've received is that it's one of their favorite pieces of this chunk that we do. We give them, it's just in a Google doc, but we outline what are some of the routines that we call it the routine checklist, just because we haven't come up with anything else super creative other than the routine checklist. But um, we give them a Google doc that has several examples of routines that you should consider as the school year starts. For example, what's your routine that you want established for entering your room? What's the expectation when they enter the room? What's the expectation when they exit the room? What's the expectation for a writing utensil? Where will they find the daily assignments posted? How do they turn in assignments? Where will grades be put? Like every little thing you can think of, but we have them look at this routine checklist and then they work in content area or grade level band groups to fill in what's a potential routine that could go along with that. 
And so it gives them an opportunity to, maybe it's a particular routine they haven't thought of. And now they have a group of people that can help them flush out a potential routine they could embed in their classroom. They've also added to this Google Doc. So we start with the list, but then they've ended up coming up with a plethora of other routines that we haven't even thought of that they have added to the Google Doc. So it's just becoming like an ongoing living document that teachers continue to add to and can reference back to. And I would add on, we try to elevate the idea of routines and procedures by, it can't just be something that you say. It has to be something that you say, that you practice, that's written somewhere, that has a visual, and even better if you can add a gesture. So I'm gonna give you an example, how to ask or pose a question in class. So we could have the classic hand raise, just hand in the air. What if it's just your pointer finger in the air? So hand up and your pointer finger, that means I have an idea to share. What if it's, you put your hand in the air and it's a letter C, so you're making the shape of a C with your hand. That's, I have a comment. So you can scan a room and you can determine who has a question, who has an idea, who has a comment. There's gestures elementary teachers use for a quiet voice inside, or when you're done with your work, you just sweep your hands to the side. It's sign language, but that means I'm done. So a student could announce they're done with something and no other student even is aware of it or is comparing themselves. So there are a lot of ways to think about routines and we, we try to expand them beyond just in your own head because it has to transfer to the environment. And how are you making that transfer? Gosh, Kristen, as you were talking there, I just found myself just lost in all the like great strategies that you were throwing out. And that certainly, uh, you know, I'll go back even to the checklist is something that I think would be terrific to walk any teacher through, right? Such a level of intentionality. And I know, Amy, you mentioned earlier clarity by having those types of pieces in place that are everything from what Kristen said, like in a visual, it's in our routines, it's, it's written down somewhere. Uh, I just love the consistency across all that. So I'm going to press into it anymore. I mean, is there anything else that you would add have, to this? I do, Andrew. Thank you for, for giving me that opportunity because I it's very simple. It's what time is it? And I'm not asking for students to look up at the clock and actually tell me the time. It's is it uptime or is it downtime? Because we are in a world of constant interruptions, even more so now. And so when I would get a phone call in my class or we'd have a class visitor pop in or you have a fire drill and there's a lot of interruptions that you can talk about, a new teacher, veteran teacher, they all need to have their plan B for what do you do during downtime when you're in that interruptive mode. So if I got that phone call, I asked my students, what time is it? And they would say downtime. I go to the phone and they knew what they were to do. So they had their flashcards in a bag. That's what they did during that time. And all I had to say is, what time is it? Another routine and procedure. And when it's up time, that might be that I'm at the front of the room and I'm about to give you some very specific and incredible way, credible voice, body stature, very important information. And they're to lean in and to listen and be ready. But they understand the distinction between, and we practice, uptime versus downtime. That's another good one too. 
again, I love all the strategies that we're providing here. And I think that kind of segues into that fourth one uh, really well. Also in that idea of making it magic and making it your own, because so much of what we've talked about up to this point has been, all right, here's the checklist. Have you thought through these things? It's routine, it's procedures, it's strategies for how to develop relationships. Um, But where does that meet the individual and, and their own sensibilities in terms of who they're creating for their uh, teacher persona, you know, and and how they are going to go about facilitating that. Uh, So yeah, what does that look like when you're meeting with new teachers to have that conversation? We will talk about new teachers finding their marigold in their building, in their life, in their educational world. And what we mean by finding your marigold is the concept is A gardener would plant a marigold in their garden for the purpose of repelling bugs or repelling pests Mm -hmm. and also to promote the growth of whatever it's planting this marigold next to. And so the concept is the same is true for the new teacher. Find your marigold. Who in your building, who in your educational world is going to repel the naysayers, repel the weeds, but promote your growth, inspire you enhance your abilities, motivate you, encourage you to take risks, help you become authentic. Like all those things that we've been talking about that you strive for and you hope for, and you're trying to nurture, who's your marigold that can help you do that? Find your marigold. And I would say a good marigold test is number one, new teachers, I'm speaking right to you. Ask questions. You are new, they know you're new, or even if you're not brand new, maybe you're new to a district, you're fresh. So take that opportunity to ask questions. Those around you that are willing to share ideas, give you some answers, or maybe even just help you find your own answer, those right there reveal themselves as incredible marigolds. And allow yourself to be attracted to that, attracted to their learning space, observing them, bending their ear, um, when you feel trust and rapport, being vulnerable with that person or people. There are also social media marigolds. There are certain people that I follow on Twitter and Snapchat actually, that it's just a few seconds that lift my soul, fill my bucket where I feel I can rise up and I can be a better person and a better educator. So find your marigold wherever that soil is. Because I really like this gig of me asking questions, I'm going to do that again. (laughs) Andrew and Kristen, I'm going to ask you both, if you had to identify your marigold, who is your marigold? Currently or when I was teaching? You pick. Um, I'll frame it in that, like first years one, two, three of teaching and say that my mentor impressed upon me that would be a good idea to go observe a little bit. And he set me up for my first a couple observations of other teachers in the building who were just doing great things. It's very much to the point that you all are bringing up. Uh, and I found that I just could not get enough of that. And uh, did I always have the time for it? No. Was it would have been easier to like work on the things that were very pressing in my le- like lesson plans or grading? Sure. But I made it a point to work on about 30 minutes into my plan time a week of going to watch somebody else teach. Uh, and 
what I learned was uh, nobody has a deeper conversation with uh, their students than Greg Welch and nobody facilitates a more fun conversation uh, than Brian McGee and nobody transitions from one activity to the next like Amy Hughes. And, mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I can say those things to this day because I, I saw it and it pushed me to try to be better. And it framed different ways of going about the things in the checklist that you just mentioned a moment ago, right? Like some of those little nuanced pieces that it's hard to know what to pick up and what your next step might be if you don't have someone out there as a marigold to sit down and, and be a part of that. And, I, and I've had people say too, well, that's a, it makes me uncomfortable to ask. Does it make them uncomfortable for me to go and observe? Uh, and I would just encourage folks, to, especially if you're a teacher in the first three years of your career, everybody knows that you're just, you're not going to go in there and observe with a critical eye. You're going in there to learn. Uh, and once you've gone a couple of times, it's okay. And the benefits of starting that for a culture in a school, if it's not already there, is tremendous. And so, so why not? Uh, and invite people into your classroom. I, I taught English when I was in the classroom and we'd typically have a play at some point that we would read aloud. So those same teachers I observed, guess who's going to come in and play one of these guest parts on a, like in a smaller role for a day. And all of a sudden your social studies teacher bursts in the room and starts, you know, reciting Hamlet. And it, uh, it is really terrific to then kind of play off of that energy piece we talked about earlier, right? Like use their amazing energy that they bring to what they do to, and infuse that into your own classroom. Um, those are relationships matter. We're just like checking all these boxes across because it is all connected, right? Well, I love that because you don't know what you don't know. And I think by going into the classrooms, you you had a different insight of you don't know what you don't know. Not only that, but I also think about if you didn't have a marigold, you might've found a marigold just by doing what you did. So I love that you said all their names too. For a fact, I, I learned so much and went back to those classes. There's some classes I went to a couple of times and there's a lot of great educators in our profession and you can learn if you can learn one thing, right? From each of them, that's mm-hmm. uh, it's really something. Kristen, Kristen your turn. <laughs> Okay, I'll be quick and I'll be a little more abstract. So my roots, so I'm going to go to the root. My roots, I also am an educator that had one educator in particular that added a lot of pressure in the right way for me to learn and have a passion for science. And I know that he cared. And so there was that balance. Those are my roots. When I think of my marigolds, I have to put an S on the end. And what I meant before about being abstract, any space that I'm in with educators, I look for marigolds. Marigolds are the ones that are doing the things that they expect their students to do. If it's a meeting, they're taking notes, they're asking questions, they're engaging in dialogue, they're willing to take risks, like all of those things that we want to see in classrooms. When I see adults do that, they're my marigolds. When I'm a presenter or I'm providing some information and I get eye contact, I get head nods, I get smiles, those are my marigolds. And so I always try to push myself whenever I'm in that community, that partnership of learning, am I being a marigold? And maybe it's not me sitting in the front row doing so. Maybe I need to sit on the side. Like marigolds are usually the perimeter of a garden because you're protecting that space. So just reminding myself to not only look for marigolds, but to be a marigold. While you were sharing, I just found myself going, 
I get to like hang out with Marigolds on the podcast all the time, like the two of you. And just to be a part of all these great conversations with people that are just so passionate about what they do and inspire me. And, and it's so fun to capture these conversations and to get back to your point about they're, they're in social media. They can be in this format as well, uh, where you can connect with those folks and uh, just really grateful for the two of you taking the time to share and be Marigolds on our pod today. So um, which is really terrific. I, uh, gosh, and I say every single week, but a half hour goes really, really, really fast. And I wish we could keep talking shop all day because it is so fun getting a chance to learn from you both. Uh, I will say though, is I'll give you a little space here at the end of our conversation that if there's anything that we've not brought up that you feel like needs to be that message that you're going to impart to those first year teachers. Yeah. What might you say? Self-care. Um, make sure you're taking care of yourself, a quote that I often use, and I'm sorry, I don't know who it comes from, so I'm not going to give credit where credit is due, but it's something along the lines of you're not required to set yourself on fire to keep other people warm. And I think sometimes new teachers, it's so overwhelming and it's so hard and you're trying to figure so many things out and you need to remember that you have to take care of yourself. If you are not doing well, you're not going to be a great teacher. And so you need to make sure that you are taking care of yourself. Self-care. Self-care, finding that balance. We had a training with our mental health practitioners and the concept of go fish came up. When you're playing a game of go fish, if you don't have the cards in your hand, what do you say? Go fish. There are times where you may need to say, that doesn't work for me right now. And if they need an explanation, maybe you give that. But trying to understand that, again, as Amy put it, if you're going to apply pressure with care and do the job of an educator, you know you need to know when to say yes, when to say no. Or if you, you struggle with saying no, go fish and explain what that means. Having a way to find that balance in life will help you find that balance in the classroom and beyond. Um, uh, I usually don't add to this conversation at the end, but I kind of want to, given what you just <laughs> shared there and say that I found myself working a lot during that first year outside of school hours, uh, as I'm sure most educators find themselves doing regardless. But I would say if you're new to the profession and you are finding that that's a little overwhelming to you, uh, you do not have to do all of your work at school. Uh, you do not have to do all of your work at home. Uh, you don't have to do all of your work without colleagues or friends. Uh, and I, I found that when I would need to do something like great essays, that by going to a coffee shop and rewarding myself with a, a nice coffee drink or uh, getting the opportunity to uh, just go sit outside and grade just in a different environment changes the whole experience of how you're perceiving and carrying the, that work with you outside of your school day. And uh, it also can help you preserve your home environment too. I think if you, uh, when you go home, you don't do work, uh, but if you have things to do, maybe that just happens someplace else. And I think that finding that balance, as you said there, Kristen, uh, that might be a part of it is environmental. Some of my colleagues that I came in with uh, in the district that I taught were we would all go and sit around a table and grade <laughs> and lesson design and share our successes and failures. Yeah, that, that relationship piece there too can be really helpful towards self-care and, and wellness. Boom. You could go on that. <laughs> yeah, you did.
I felt like, I don't know. I don't, like I said, I usually don't close with much, but I wanted to throw that out there. And you I did, just, and I'm glad you did. Cause it was a, an additional strategy and one that I think everyone can relate to. Well, thank you both so much again for your time, for your great ideas, for your rap. First rap on the pod. Loving that. Ooh. And uh, I, I will be so excited to have the two of you come back uh, again for another topic sometime in the future. We're game. We're ready to bring game. it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you for the opportunity to be partners in learning with you. Uh, Ooh, well said. Look at you tying that up. Partners in learning. Grateful for it. Thanks. Thanks.